in continuing the trend of this series, uh, I'll just go ahead and, and remind you uh, that, that this, like, this sermon series is, is, is really meant to like, help you uh, apply the gospel to your everyday life, uh, basically like, encouraging, uh, encouraging you to like, not, not only be hearers of the word, but also doers of the word. Uh, and so uh, we finished the first phase of this series, which was focusing on creation and, and the different uh, aspects and, and applications that we chose to, to do uh, during that. And, and now we are in the second phase of where we are focusing on the fall. And, and so the subject of, of this sermon is, is really not one that should be taken lightly. I hope that the, like the full gravity of what uh, is discussed tonight kind of stays with you throughout much of the week. And uh, we're willing, you know, a little bit longer than that. Um, and so, so tonight's subject will be focused on the subject of, of death, and, uh, and I recognize fully um, the sensitivity with which like, like this should be discussed, right? And, and specifically, like when I'm referring to death, I'll be talking about spiritual death. Uh, and, and so the goal of tonight is, got, is to kind of urge you to like, see the weight of, of what it means to live for Christ. Uh, and, and as I attempt to, to like make a plea, uh, for your own personal holiness, uh, and, and hopefully allow you to see like the degree to which we might pursue it. And so, so upon humanity's fall, the the existence of death, uh, both physical and spiritual, entered into creation. Meaning that from Adam and Eve, and on throughout the uh, the, the end times, like all of mankind has been cursed uh, by this wretched plague of being eternally separated from the Father. Uh, and so, but however, we know that there is a way to rid ourselves of, of this curse. Like there's a way to make penance for our sins. Uh, and the Bible identifies it as a sacrificial offering. Um, creation has rebelled against its creator and to spare us, uh, both from the wrath of God. It, it is us who, who has to pay for our grievous mistake for sinning against an infinitely holy creator. Um, and, and so Romans 6.23 tells us that for the wages of sin is death, but because God is also merciful, and does indeed love us, he allows something else to take our place in his administration of justice, right? So something that is perfect must be sacrificed for something that is impure and corrupt, that being us. Uh, and so in the Old Testament, it was a lamb or a calf, and, and it was this sacrificial offering, it was, it was this death that showed a very visceral illustration of, of uh, sin's devastation. And of course, the act only grew... Uh, more severe uh, and, and more heavier in the continual need to do this. And so, like, even though a sacrifice was still being offered, it was not great enough to reconcile us uh, to God once and for all until, until we see the life of Christ in the New Testament, uh, where it is said of him in Hebrews 9, 12 through 15, that he entered the most holy place once for all, not by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood, having attained eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes much uh, of a young cow, sprinkling those who are defiled, sanctify for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of the Messiah, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without blemish to God, how much more will the blood of the Messiah purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? Therefore he is the mediator of a new covenant, so that those who are called might receive the promise of, inter- uh, of eternal inheritance. Um, but, of course, like only just a few more verses down uh, in, this, in this section in Hebrews, it says, But without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. And so, so tonight, like, 
Like I want you to know that our sins are acquiring a, a, a debt that will be collected by blood. And then upon our last breath, it will either be ours or Christ's. Uh, and so with this in mind, I want us to look at spiritual death. I want you to be confronted with the reality of it. And I want you to leave here knowing just how deeply the Lord uh, desires to save you from this death. And, and how we might share in Christ's sufferings as a means to, uh, to make others aware of their end apart from Christ. Uh, so tonight we'll, we'll be primar- uh, excuse me, primarily... Uh, tonight we'll be primarily looking at Philippians 3, uh, if you'd like to flip there now. And, and uh, the, the sermon for tonight is, is, um, is why the redeemed should suffer. Why the redeemed should suffer. Um, uh, and, and while you're uh, flipping to Philippians 3, I, I just would, would like to say um, that, that the subject of death is, is really not one that should be dressed up. Um, this one is supposed to be eye-opening and, and one where we can leave from this building and be reminded of just how glorious the gift of our salvation truly is. Uh, so tonight I want Scripture to speak for itself, and, and I want you to see the honor in living a life completely surrendered uh, for the Gospel. Um, so we'll read now uh, in um, Philippians. Uh, start with verse 2 and go all the way through uh, chapter 4, verse 1. It reads, um, look out for the, uh, it reads, look out for the dogs, look out for the evildoers, look out for those who mutilate the flesh, for we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has no reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to, righteous, uh, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, everything, uh, in, uh, he says, indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ, be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I might know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, because uh, becoming like him in his death, uh, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Verse 12. Not that, I have al- not that I have already obtained this, or I am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made me, made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing that I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of, of God and Christ Jesus. Let those who are mature think this way, and if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that to you also, only let us hold true to what we have attained. Verse 17. Brothers join, uh, brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you, and now even with tears, I tell you with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is in their belly, and their glory and their shame with mindset on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, 
the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly bodies to be like his glorious body, and by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and my crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. Um, and, and I'll just go ahead and open us uh, in, in prayer. You would bow with me. Um, uh, Father God, um, we, we thank you for this time where we can come together and, and read your word. Um, it, is, it is my prayer that hearts might be softened, uh, that you would speak through me to convey uh, the knowledge of your truth, uh, that we might be able to look into uh, this passage and, and see like why we should suffer uh, and, and and a gift, and, and, and what a privilege it is to, to bear your name uh, and to bear the name as Christians. Uh, so Father, I pray that um, maybe you just allow us to see like, like why we suffer and what, and what could come from it as we attempt to live a life in such a way that, um, that is indicative of something greater, that is indicative of you. Um, Father, I pray that we might also... Uh, honor you in our lives as we attempt to bear witness of, of, of your name. Uh, we love you and we praise you. In your name we pray. Amen. Um, so, so typically when this passage is preached, uh, they'll uh, normally go in the route, like people will normally go in the route, like rejoicing in the Lord or uh, because of the context, right? Like, uh, like Paul was in prison when he wrote this uh, and, and talks about all the loss of, of all things, yet expresses that he's okay with it because his delight is in the, is, is in the Lord. Um, so I'm not, I'm not going to talk about like necessarily rejoicing in the Lord in light of legalism, uh, but I, I do want to take this in a different route and kind of touch on the example of, of his holiness in the midst of his suffering uh, and, and how like his suffering is actually to serve a, a purpose. Like, like there's a purpose in his suffering, and, and so that's where we're going to be looking tonight. Um, and um, the, so, so the theme of this sermon is, is on death, uh, but I will first just, um, uh, I'm going to first start by describing like what spiritual death actually is and some of the characteristics that warrant it. Uh, so the first point for tonight, suffering, uh, suffering as the fate of the unrighteous. Suffering as the fate of the unrighteous. Uh, the unrighteous, of course, being those who fail to acknowledge uh, themselves as sinners and go throughout their lives uh, living in moral depravity. Uh, the unrighteous are, are totally and utterly depraved before God. Uh, and for such people, we see examples of, of who they are uh, described in, in Romans 1, if you'd like to flip there uh, just briefly. And starting in verse 18, uh, we'll see that, that the spiritually dead are those who suppress the truth about God, verse 18, that they are futile in their thinking, verse 21, that they were giving over to the lusts of their heart's desires, verse 24, they loved creation more than they loved the Creator, verse 25, they, gave, uh, they were given over to impure sexual relations, verses 26 through 27, uh, they have a debased or worthless or earthly mind, we see that in verse 28, and they were filled Verses 29 through 31, and they were filled with all manners of unrighteousness, evil, uh, covetousness, and malice. They are gossipers, slanderers, God-haters. They are insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to their parents, foolish, faithless, 
heartless and ruthless. But before we go any further, one thing that I want you to consider is this, that, that in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, there's a similar passage where, uh, where, where similar uh, deeds are listed, and, and in this passage, uh, it ends by saying, and, so, uh, and, and such were some of you. Such were some of you. And, and the reason I bring this up is because I often feel that our temptation is, is to kind of like look at these passages and, and see like these sins listed in the Bible and think like, uh, like these are just really bad and evil people. You know, right? Like, 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 no, like this is us. And such were some of you. Like this is us. This is, this is you and it is me. Uh, and, and these people are our parents and our loved ones and our best friends and, and our fellow churchmen. Um, and, and so, like, this is who we are apart from Christ. And even in knowing him, like, like we still do these things, right? But, um, but, like, except now, like, we do so as a redeemed people in full recognition of our need for repentance. Uh, and, and we also recognize that our fate, um, um, we, are, we recognize what our fate is. Like, should we not um, repent and ask the Lord for his forgiveness? And we also know that just as David Platt once said that, that hell is the manifestation of the reality that sin before an infinite holy God warrants an infinitely eternal punishment. But let's, uh, we'll, we'll look now and, and, and like see exactly like what hell is and the punishment that, that sin deserves. Um, so um, you, can, you can flip around if you want. Uh, I'm just going like, to list off a few places and, and briefly read some passages, but um, so, so Mark 9, verses 43 through uh, 48 reads, And if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life crippled than with two hands to go to hell, to the unquenchable fire. And if your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life lame than with two feet to be thrown into hell. And if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out. It is better for you to enter into the kingdom of God with one eye than with two eyes to be thrown into hell where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. Here hell is described as an unquenchable fire. Revelation 20.15 Hell is seen as a lake of fire. A few verses earlier, there will be torment day and night forever. Revelation 21.8 For the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Luke 16 affirms a conscious torment. You will know exactly what you are experiencing. Second Thessalonians 1.9 It is eternal destruction forever away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his this is the place where the souls of those who never come to a saving faith in Christ are destined. Hell is a great punishment. It is eternal. It is conscious. It is agonizing. And it is escapable. Suffering is the fate of the unrighteous. And it is for this reason that we must marvel at the fact um, that, that, that this is the fate that we too formerly faced. Right? Like, uh, like, we, like, we, we were destined for this, but our hearts were softened to the truth of the gospel story that there is a God who loved me so deeply as to give his life for mine so that I might be spared from his faithful dread. We are hellbound 
apart from Christ. This is a grim reality, but also don't overlook the opportunity to, for it to be avoided. Like, like, please see the weight of this, and, and please know like, like why we share the gospel. Like, we desire for people to be saved from hell, yes, but, but to also be welcomed into the fellowship of, of knowing God. The gospel is glorious, and we have the privilege of knowing like, this glory and, and the wonder of what Christ has done for us. And, and what this then reveals about the character of God, like this is a good thing that we have. Like we have to do something about this. You know, like we should be telling it. Um, and so, really, like this is where we start to come into the the picture uh, for tonight. Like, uh, and, and I'm going to make the point that that by living a life that is so saturated by the truth of the gospel and entertained by the thoughts of the Lord, that our holiness will then be the aroma of Christ to a dying world. Uh, and furthermore, that, that our holiness is the display of the gospel that leads to eternal life. Your sin and suffering will be no more. Your holiness matters. There's a point to it. Um, so our second point, uh, suffering as the privilege of the righteous. Suffering as the privilege of the righteous. Uh, and so this is kind of where we'll get to bring back into Philippians, uh, but before we get there, I just want to uh, briefly reference a passage, a passage that I came across while preparing for this sermon. Um, it was, um, it was uh, Psalm 90, uh, in verse 12, it says, Teach us to number our days, so that, we may, uh, so that we may get a heart of wisdom. Teach us, O Lord, to number our days. Um, and and I thought that I kind of understood this verse for a second. Uh, I was a little puzzled by it, so I kind of looked into it a little bit. And, and Matthew Henry says this of this verse. He uses different translation, but same thing. He says, the prayer, the psalm, Psalm 90 is a prayer. He says, this prayer, Lord, make me to know my end, means, uh, like, Lord, give me the wisdom and grace to consider it and to prove what I know concerning it. The living know that they shall die, but few careful thinking about death. And we have therefore need to, in, uh, to pray to God by His grace uh, that we would conquer that aversion which is in our corrupt hearts, the thought of death. He says, Lord, make me consider. Uh, another guy, Matt McCullough, says, um, behind this prayer is the consistent conviction of the Bible and to live well in the world as it is and to account for death with honesty. And, and this verse really kind of hit me um, and um, it kind of put me into... Um, it kind of—I I, guess—it kind of like put into word like these thoughts that I've been kind of feeling, uh, I guess, slowly for, for a few years, um, and and but only recently have I actually become a, aware of this. Uh, and so, so I was born in uh, Scottsboro, or Scottsboro, yes, uh, and, and raised there, is what I say. But um, but like, there's this like little farming community called Fackler, just like a few minutes outside the the city limits. And so, uh, so I, I probably lived there until I was about 12. Um, and, and it was one of those places where you could, you know, like drive down the road uh, and, and know who lives in, in every house. Like, you know, like you'd be driving down and you'd be like, oh, there's the Dudleys sitting on their front porch or the next house. Like there's, you know, old Larry Dawson, you know, out you know, messing around with his tractor or uh, down to the next one, the holders, you know, uh, messing around with the cows. And so uh, in a place like Fackler, like Scottsboro might have 15,000 people. Fackler might have uh, 500, you know, like super, super tiny. 
so in a place like this, everyone is family. Uh, and and you, know, you didn't need an invitation to come over. It was one of those places where like, if your front door was open or if your garage door was open, then that was all the invitation that you needed. Uh, and so while we lived there, we'd always have people stopping by or, uh, or when we'd get ready to run some errands, like we'd always make a couple stops on the way just to say hey to some people. Um, and it was also here in Fackler that, uh, that I attended a church that I was saved. You know, a really small church, maybe 20 people. Um, never really too big, but like, these people were my family. Uh, and, and never has the saying, like, it takes a village to raise a child uh, been better lived out than it has been in my own life. Like, I was their child and they were my village. And so from time to time, I get to spend the day with some of these farmers. And, and I often think about uh, all the time that uh, I got to spend with uh, this man named Mac Dudley. Uh, he's a heck of a man. Uh, how can you not be with, with a name like that? Um, and, and he was one of those people who um, was always old, you know, aged and weathered by his time out in the fields or on the tractor. And when I was really young, I'd get to ride the tractor with him and think, like, oh, this is the coolest thing ever, you know. Uh, or I remember getting to go rabbit hunting with uh, a sweet old man named Glenn. And, uh, and we'd just be out there following his dogs around the cotton field in the early morning. And, um, and there are countless stories of, of time with, uh, spent with all these older men in the area. And, um, and I love them deeply, and um, they are largely the reason why I am the person I am today. Um, even though I'm not a farmer, nor do I hunt too much, and they probably have no idea that the, the impact that they made on my life. But um, I, I saw them talk about the Lord, and, and I saw the ways that they would speak about how um, they would love their wives. And, and with every story that they told, um, I made an effort to listen to every single word. Um, and, and so when I was, uh, I turned 13, is uh, when my dad moved to Huntsville and, and my mother I remarried and we moved back into the city of Scottsboro. So I wasn't out there too much, but uh, when I came to college, I kind of began to like reflect on, on really like what a formative time this was for me. And so uh, every time I would, uh, we got on break, uh, Christmas, Thanksgiving or something, I would always make the effort to drive out through Fackler and, um, uh, and, and I'd always make the effort to um, to try to spend a few minutes with them and uh, and, and see them and, and just visit. Uh, and, and I still do anytime I'm home. But um, now most of them have passed away, and uh, and and so um, I'll just go and visit with their wives now. And, uh, and uh, now it's to the point to where even they are starting to pass now. And uh, for me, I think it is just a striking picture of. Um, I think it's just a striking picture of life, you know, uh, that the that the old are dying, um, and in their passing, a new generation is being born, uh, is being raised, and um, so when I was growing up, it was them, and um, and now it is my parents and my aunts and my uncles who have then kind of passed the baton of like community leadership, um, uh, and and as they are aging, I realize soon that it will be my turn and my cousin's turn, and. Um, anyway, all of this to say is that in small town Alabama, family is a really special thing, as it is elsewhere, but here's just different. And, and though you might not see these people every day, uh, like, like you, you do love them deeply, and, and I do, and, and did. Uh, and, and no matter like how many years I've passed by since I saw them, it is almost as if all time has stood still and yet passed by in the same breath. And with each passing, with each death, uh, the pain of losing them is as um, 
it, it still hurts as much as the first. And uh, I've really never uh, grown used to it. But, uh, but like, why do I share this? You know, like, I, I share this because I am ever aware of, of death's sting. You know, and, and I also where that is only the Christian who can chant, Oh, death, where is your sting? But for those who are not believers, they cannot say that. Um, so my days are limited, and I see this, but my desire is for you to see this also. Um, and, and just to encourage you that, that like, what you do with your time does matter, and it carries eternal consequences. So if we are to be commissioned as ambassadors for Christ and to, and to conduct ourselves in such a way that our lives are a true display of the gospel, as they should be, then there is going to come a time where we must suffer um, or we must suffer in order to honor the legacy of Christ and the doctrines and to tell how we might live best for him. Um, and so, now looking back in Philippians, um, we'll see how we might do this. So, Philippians 2 and 3, they just kind of outline, like, like in this writing, Paul is just trying to make the distinction of, like, external religion or internal faith. You know, like, there's all these, uh, uh, all these Judaizers that are running around and trying to tell people that, like, oh, you must be a Christian. Like, uh, if you want to be a Christian, you have to be circumcised. And if you're not circumcised, then you're not a Christian, you know. Um, and so, really, in this chapter, like, Paul is just a, a attempting to, like, challenge this idea uh, of those who are pushing this false narrative that the mark of the true, of the true Christian is not circumcision, of course, but uh, it consists in what we see in verse 3 of who worship by the Spirit of God, who glory in Christ Jesus, and who put no confidence in the flesh. Um, so, so I'm just adding context for you know, better understanding. But uh, verse 4 is really where I want you to pay attention. Uh, and he says, Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh, uh, also, but if anyone else thinks that he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. He says, I was circumcised on the eighth day. That was a Jewish, uh, a Jewish law. If you wanted to, uh, if you were to be circumcised, it had to be on the eighth day. Uh, he was circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, is blameless. And so, like, if this guy, like Paul, was at the top of his game in, uh, in Jewish culture. Uh, and so um, he had the perfect resume for someone who was looking to be uh, really like, powerful and influential, and yet he discards it all. Uh, verse 7, what, But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. He forfeited all, like, all of this, this, like, uh, this right to, to influence and uh, and, and, and power, if you will, uh, for the sake of the surpassing value and the surpassing worth of, of knowing Christ Jesus. Uh, and, and so here like, is where I want you to start to look at like, the privilege that comes uh, in suffering. So, so in verse 7, like, Paul counted uh, all gain that he had as loss for the sake of knowing Christ. Verse 8, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. I count all lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ. For this sake, for his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish. In order, verse 8b, uh, in order that I may gain Christ, verse 9, and that I may be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but 
that which comes through the faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on his faith. Uh, and in verse 10 through 11, it's kind of where we see like what it means, like what he is actually striving for in knowing God and like his reward in this. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection, that he may share in, in his sufferings, in Christ's sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. And so, so like, uh, Paul in his suffering uh, says that I want to know Christ. I want to know the surpassing value of knowing Christ. It is for him that I suffer all things. Uh, I, I count everything as rubbish so that I may gain Christ, uh, so that I may be found in him, verse 9. Uh, again, in verse 10, he's saying, know Christ. Like, all I want to do is know Christ. And this is why I endure the sufferings that are inflicted upon me, why I am in prison and, in, and, and going through, like, all these beatings and everything and all this scorn and, and forsaking, like, my titles and my righteousness as a Pharisee, all for the sake of knowing Christ. And so what I want you to see uh, is, is twofold. First, that Paul's sustainment in his suffering, and uh, the suffering and the loss of all things, even his freedom, like he's in jail when he's writing this, the sustainment is in the confidence of gaining something that is far more valuable than anything that this earth could offer. Um, Christ. Like, like, it is knowing Christ intimately that sustains him. And secondly, that Paul's suffering is actually doing something. You know, like, like people will see clearly the joy that Paul uh, uh, has in the midst of his circumstances, right? Like, like he has an audience. He's, he's writing to someone. He, like, he has a following. And so when he speaks, they listen. Uh, and, and, and he has crucified his flesh and clings to no earthly desire, but rather Christ alone. And so the application for you tonight is, is like to follow in his example. You know, like as Christians, you will be pressured to engage in certain things or you'll be tempted to fall into certain things that will compromise your faith. Don't do it. Like, like people will not be impressed in seeing a Christian who, who is... is Living it up all the while, uh, and, and and living it up in all the pro, uh, in all the pleasures of the world, and, and then only going to church on Sunday mornings. You know, like like, don't just be someone who tacks Jesus on at the beginning of the week, right? Like that's not going to impress anyone. Like no one's going to be wowed by by you, you know, like being down at the bars and then coming in on Sunday and be like, oh, but, but Jesus is good. You know, like no, don't do that. People will see that and they'll be like. Well, I can do all that and not go to church. I can do that and sleep in, you know. Um, and so, so like, don't just be that person who, who tacks on Jesus at the beginning of the week while you neglect to daily commit to him um, and, and live fully devoted to Christ. Like, like, flee from your sins and suffer for the sake of Christ that others might also see him in your life. Um, and this will strain some relationships and you will probably feel isolated at some point in your life or another. But also, also, we must never buy into the, into the lie that our sins only affect us. Right? Like, like we can justify a whole assortment of, of the things that we do. Um, and, and we'll oftentimes convince ourselves and saying, but like, this is just, you know, it's just secret. it doesn't really affect that. You know, it doesn't really hurt people too much. Um, but here's the thing, like whether you get drunk with a group of people or whether you're drinking underage by yourself and no one knows about it, 
or whether you engage in sexual immorality with someone, or if you are just watching porn by yourself in your room. Like, like we must never believe that we are only affecting ourselves, or that, or that, like, those, or, or that we are only affecting those, like, that are with us during those times. Like, sin cripples and paralyzes the heart, and it will bleed into every other part of our lives and inhibit the inability or a, or a greater unwillingness to conform to the image of Christ. And it will pervert the very power by which we are supposed to taste and see that the Lord is indeed good. And not only good, but better. We are a redeemed people. We should suffer and deny our flesh. So, like, please see this tonight. And, and if you don't believe me, like, start observing your own life and see, like, Oh, my porn just, you know, my porn addiction just affects me. Like, like, no, like, you will, if you are paying attention, you will know that your heart is becoming hardened and, 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 and formed and more away from Christ, not to it. You cannot engage in something that is sinful and think that it is making you more Christ-like. Like, that's not how that works. So suffer. Like, like deny your flesh. And, and even if, like, and also, just to make this clear, like, if you desire to be a missionary, like, there might come a time where, where you will, while you were, like, suffer bodily harm, you know, like, like uh, a few years ago when everything was going on with ISIS, like, where, where Christians were literally being decapitated, or when we're reading the stories of, of uh, great missionaries and their biographies where some of them are literally being burned alive at the stake, you know, like, you might suffer in that regard, but also, like, even if you are not, like, like emotional strain and, and being isolated from friends uh, and, and having the ability to deny what you want so deeply, there's also another form of suffering. Uh, not to belittle what missionaries often go through, but uh, just to make it relatable. Um, like, I just want you to be aware of that. And so, suffering is important because it attests to the value that for which we are suffering, right? Like, like Christ suffered because we were worth it. We now suffer because we say that Christ is worth it. And when others look upon our trials and see the joy that is enshrined on our faces, they're going to pay attention. But if the connection between your holiness and everyone else's faith is still kind of cloudy, I might first ask you to consider like the life of Paul and see the effects that Paul's suffering has had on the church and its impact on like Christian doctrine. You know, like, like everyone, everyone's like, oh, I want to be like Paul. Well, like, like see his suffering, like see his holiness, and see like, man, like he was being chiseled away left and right. And even so much so, he still has the humility to say in verse 12, not that I have already attained this or I am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. That's why he realizes that Christ, Christ has a hold on our lives. Um, and then, I'd ask you to flip to uh, Hebrews 12, uh, where we'll look at verses 6 uh, through 14 very briefly. Um, it says, uh, For the Lord, uh, I'll, I'll give you a minute to get there, Hebrews 12, verses 6 through 14. For the Lord disciplines 
the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have endured, or that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? And if you were left without discipline in which, you, uh, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Because of it, uh, besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good that we may share his holiness. Verse 11, For the moment all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Therefore, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put put out of joint, but rather be healed. Verse 14, Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no man will see the Lord. By your holiness, people do, and, and like by God's grace, like people may look upon you and see Christ. But if you're just giving in to every temptation, if you're living a life of pleasure, of, of earthly pleasure, will they see Christ? So, um, in light of seeing that the Lord disciplines the one he loves, we'll look now at the third point. Um, Point three, uh, final one. We suffer for what lies ahead. We suffer for what lies ahead. Uh, And and guys, listen, like, I understand. um, I understand that life is hard and that we will stumble and that we will fall. Uh, But also, like, I want you to remember what what Kevin said on Sunday, uh, Sunday morning, like, we will fall. Christ will not let us fall away. And here's the other thing, like just simply knowing what hell is like will not be the compelling force in motivating you to share the gospel. I wish it would be, but it's not. Like, like this will not motivate you to share the gospel to the lost and to the unsaved if your heart has been hardened by unrepentant and repeated sin. Like, like you will not care where the souls of the dead go upon their, upon their last breath if you do not first see the significance of your own sins and what you were saved from and the significance in Christ dying on your behalf. Salvation is a beautiful, beautiful gift. But like, when we struggle to persevere in this truth, you can remember what Philippians 3 does. Um, and also, like, if you cultivate intimacy with Christ by talking to Him, and so... Um, kind of hard to take the stage at late via not reference a book. Uh, this one, Practice of the Presence of God and, and Spiritual Maxims by Brother Lawrence is, uh, is a book that Hal Cooper gave to me uh, uh, probably in my freshman year and, and since then I've read it every single day. Uh, not the whole book, but just pages in and excerpts from it every single day. Um, and, and so there's this letter. Brother Lawrence is just this guy who's his corresponding. So the whole book is literally just his letters that he's written. Uh, this one is on suffering. It says, I'm in pain to see you suffer so long. What gives me some ease and sweetens the feelings I have for your grief is that they are proof of God's love toward you. 
see them in that view and you will bear them more easily. As your case is, it is, in, it is my opinion that you shall leave off human re- remedies and resign yourself entirely to the providence of God. Perhaps he stays only for that resignation and perfect trust in him to cure you. Since, notwithstanding all your, care, all your cares, uh, physical has hitherto proved unsuccessful and your malady still increases. You will not be tempting uh, God to abandon yourself in his hands and expect all from him. He says, I told you in my last letter that he sometimes permit, permits bodily diseases to cure the distempers of the soul. Have courage then and make a virtue of necessity. Ask of God not deliverance from your pains, but strength to bear them resolutely. For the love of him, all that he should please, and, all, and, and as long as he shall please. Such prayers indeed are a little hard uh, to nature, but most acceptable to God and sweet to those that love him. Love sweetens pain, and when one loves God, one suffers for his sake with joy and courage. Do you so, I beseech you, comfort yourself with him, who is the only physician of all your maladies. He is the father of the afflicted, always ready to help us. He loves us infinitely more than we imagine. Love him then and seek no consolation elsewhere. I hope you will soon receive it. I will, uh, I will help you with my prayers, poor as they are, and shall always be. Pray, Lord. Pray. Even when you don't want to, force yourself to it. Pray. Like get in the habit of, of talking to the Lord. Um, but also, uh, Philippians 17 through uh, 4, 1 says, Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is in their belly, and their glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly bodies to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and my crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. When we struggle to persevere, remember this, that in verse 17, we have the example of Paul and all the saints who have gone before us to encourage us in our holiness to show that it is possible. Perseverance is doable. We have faith of others push us. Verse 18. Now, I tell you, even with tears, those who walk as enemies of the cross of Christ, like we have faith of others to push us forward in our holiness. Verse 20, we have the hope of heaven to inspire us. Therefore, chapter 4, verse 1, stand firm in the Lord, my dearly beloved. This is it. We endure all things so that we might know Christ, so that we might have a personal relationship with him we might one day have our lowly bodies transformed to be like his glorious body and be taken to the place where there is no more sin, no more trial, only triumph 
and rejoicing and worshiping in the presence of our Savior. As I have attended over 30 funerals uh, where I've seen my own friends lying dead in the casket. I've seen cousins and family friends and mothers and fathers and siblings of my closest friends all laid to rest. And for some, our separation will be but only for a moment more. For others, their graves will be their permanent resting places. And these image bearers of the Almighty God will spend their eternity suffering and agony. And if you have ever experienced the death of a loved one, I do not need to get into the detail of what that kind of grief is like. I'll just simply acknowledge that it is hard and that it is refining. So my encouragement for you tonight is this. Do not fail to use your time. Do not fail to use the time the Lord has gifted you with right now to bear witness of the glory that is in knowing our Savior. There are so many people that I've seen pass away where I now wonder, where is their soul? Where are they? Several of my close friends. So, use your time. Um, and, and I'll close by just reading Paul's closing words in his letter to the Galatians. Philippians um, chapter 6, verse 17. He says, From now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the scars of Jesus. Um, I pray that you might do the same. Um, so, so, um, for prayer tonight, I, um, I, I just ask that, that you would do so by yourself and, um, and, and, and pray that you might delight in denying yourself of, of earthly longings, that you would learn to love the Lord, that you would learn to talk to Him daily, every moment, just simple, simple adorations, simple confessions, that get in the habit of talking to the Lord, um, and that you might love only but also, like, if you are sitting here tonight and, and either you don't believe the reality of what Scripture says about spiritual death, or if you're sitting here and you realize that this faith that we talked about tonight might also be yours, man, like, please pray. And even if it's just like an inkling, like, like pre- please pray and ask the Spirit of grace to reveal like, this truth to you. And, and if afterward like, you feel so moved, like, Come find me or Kevin or Sophie or someone and like like talk to us. You know, like this is eternal stuff. Um.